This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Time Travelling Team. I'm Paddy. Each week, Paul and Dan do a fantastic job guiding us through the wide world of movies and TV shows. Meanwhile, my co-host Trisha and I are taking a trip through the time vortex and discussing the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey world of Doctor Who. Starting back from the earliest adventure in 1963, we're discussing the stories, the Doctor, the companions and the villains of this iconic show. You can find us at Time Team on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Now sit back, relax and enjoy as Paul and Dan do their thing. Half measure style. Kia ora and welcome to Half Measures. It's September already, and for a lousy year, it seems to be flying by. And if you can't believe that, then wait till you hear who's co hosting with me on the podcast today. It's my pleasure to introduce a man who taught me what a 10 second car is all about. It's the world's fastest New Zealander. It's the android-hating, spearmint-shaking, Costanza-raging, D-dub general himself. Ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. It's Dan Whiting. Very well done. Well, let me introduce you to the co-host of the Half Mishes podcast. He's the Stevie to my Kenny. He's the Robin to my Batman. He's the Spock to my Kirk. He's the Joker to my Batman. He's the Smokey to my Bandit. He's the Scully to my Mulder. He's the Boot to my Uni. He's the Jesse Pinkman to my Walter White. He's the Dwight to my Michael Scott. He's the Ted to my Bill. You're about to spend an hour with Kanawa, ladies and gentlemen, my friend, my chum, my bud, my pal, my co-host, Paul Kanawa. It's amazing. It's, it's also unsustainable. I feel like people are just going to start scrubbing past <laughs> The first 30 seconds of the podcast going, I don't, I don't need to hear about these guys. It's incredible how you put so much effort into that. Um, can I just clarify, who was I to Michael Scott? I was your... Dwight, Dwight. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, no, I don't think you either. And look, I don't agree with any of those combinations, <laughs> but I didn't really want to, like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to call myself Robin. Um, and and like, I wouldn't really call you my Robin, but... I thought if I'm going to give like a, a Banty intro, I'm definitely going to take yeah, the that's right the upper level. I want to take the high ground. Yeah, it's good. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll try yeah. it. I'll try my luck, even though you have the high ground, and see if I can keep my legs attached. Great job, Dan. Great job. Uh, so here we are again. Um, also, a warm welcome to time traveling team who are a new podcast uh, sponsor for us which is uh, fantastic and dan i really love how we're now being supported by people in europe and north america we've come a long way since we started we've met some great people and i also know we're also regularly trending as a popular new zealand podcast on listennotes.com which i think is pretty cool because i don't think i've ever trended anywhere to be honest Look, if you're going to start trending on Listen Notes, is the, is the place to do it in New Zealand. No, it is pretty cool, and it was really awesome getting to interview the um, the guys from uh, Time Temp and, you know, really explore uh, Doctor Who on a whole new level. And I've actually I've heard from a few of our listeners that they, they really enjoyed it, even though it was something a little bit different for us. Yeah, definitely. I really had a great time too, and I know that uh, Patty and Trisha did as well. So um, we look forward to having them back one day, maybe to see how they're they're getting on in a, in a, in a wee while, because uh, their podcast is ramping up. They're well into season two now. Nice, nice. Season two of the 1977... 63. I'm not sure what they did. Oh, God. 
God. Anyway, anyway, we've got a we've got a big show, Paul. We've got lots to cover. We do. It's, it's been a while. It's been a while. I feel all out of sorts. I don't remember the rhythm or anything. Um, shall I start off by telling people how they can get in, in touch with us? How about that? So, um, yeah, you can follow us at Half Measures Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you've got a movie, a TV show, or something you want to recommend for us to review. Drop us a line at half measures podcast half measures podcast.com. Uh, we do love those mailbag questions. And you can find all those links and the Discord community channel in the episode notes of this podcast. Also, a special shout out to our uh, Patreon producers. So the producers for this episode are Samara King and Trisha Brady. Thank you for your support. And if you too would like to become a, a patron of the show, then you can go to patreon.com forward slash half measures podcast. Awesome. Right. Well, we're five minutes in, Dan. We've got a big show ahead of us. It's time to say, what have you been watching? I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of things. So I'm going to start with a couple of movies and then I'll talk about a few TV shows. Okay. So the the first movie that I'm going to kick us off with is a movie called uh, Project Power. So this is a an, a new movie on Netflix, uh, and it's in the superhero genre. Just recently came out. Stars Jamie Fox. Has this a movie that you have seen yet, Paul? No, and I'm just looking at the the poster of it now. So this isn't okay. All right, I I've not seen this. So so quick quick. Very quick synopsis of the movie. Um, basically, it's all about uh, a pill that you can take. And when you take this pill, it gives you an unpredictable superpower for five minutes. And so the whole movie's uh, filmed in New Orleans, sort of focuses around uh, some people who are, who are dealing these um, power pills. And there's all sorts of over-the-top superhero antics because for some people they might, um, I don't know, get the ability to manipulate fire. Other people become super strong. Other people kind of grow like uh, Wolverine-type um, sort of mm. bone claws. So, look, it's uh, uh, also stars um, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, for the YouTube fans amongst us, even a, a, a brief cameo from Casey Neistat. It's a it's a pretty fun Friday night movie. It's kind of got potential for a second follow-up movie. It's I actually thought it was quite well directed. Um, they've you know for a, a a Netflix original, it's got some pretty big name talent behind it. It's not a, a movie you're gonna you know walk away on and have big debates on for years to come but you could do far worse than watching uh project power i would say the one the one critique i would have of it is it's maybe a little bit long so it's an hour 53 mm-hmm. which is pretty long in the in the movie space but but it's a fun watch i i, I find it a fascinating um premise it feels it feels really uh, quite simplistic. It feels, you know, I, I love the idea. Um, I feel like if they pitched that as a movie idea, it would have taken a bit of selling. Oh yeah, you take a pill and you get to be something for five minutes. It sounds like something we could come up with. But 
um, I really feel fascinated to watch it to see how that plays. The two directors, Henry Juist and Ariel Shulman, um, I, ha- I haven't seen any of the stuff that they've done before. So this could be like a, you know, a first big project for them. You know, Jamie Fox. That's a that's a pretty pretty good starting place. Eh? I mean, that's a really decent cast in there. I like it. I might give it a go. Yeah, and look, Jamie Fox is, a, is definitely plays a, a really fun character. Um, as do a few of the other people in there. It's um, yeah, look, it's good fun, and I think if, if you've already got Netflix and you're looking for something to watch, mm. um, check it out. It, I, I feel like it kind of came in a, bit, a little bit under the radar for me. Um, but yeah, look, it's um, it's good. It's good. It's good. Nothing and more to say. This this was the first uh, one of the first things this guy's written by the looks of it as well. This um, the writer. So I love it. I, this is what I love about. It. We've talked about you know, people who haven't got much under their belt and sort of getting an opportunity to make movies and Netflix and platforms like Netflix seem to be really allowing that to happen way, way more than would have been the case if this was going straight to the silver screen, right? I think too, yeah, there's, you know, Netflix has got a a great fan base. I think this is a movie that, again, you know, we talk about this occasionally, like I I don't know whether I'd ever go to a theatre to watch a movie like this, but I'd definitely check it on on Netflix, you know, it's... Mm. You never know when you're just scanning for something something new to watch. Um, the next movie that um, um, I've watched is actually uh, a recommendation from one of our listeners. Okay. So this is a movie recommended to us by um, someone in our Discord community named Sador. You might have heard us talk about him before in previous episodes. And this is a movie called Revenge. And a couple of interesting things about this. So where Sador said that we could watch this movie was on a a platform called Shudder. And he wasn't sure whether it would be available in New Zealand. And to my shock, Shudder is available in New Zealand. And it's actually a a a specialist, uh, a streaming network purely kind of dedicated to, I guess, horror films um, or lack of a, a better genre. Not really a genre of choice for me, um, horror, but Sador had such a strong um, review of Revenge, I decided to to give it a whirl. Nice. I like that. So, so again, quick sort of synopsis. Um, it's Revenge is basically a, a film about uh, a girl who goes away with her boyfriend who she's having an affair with this guy um and they go into the into the desert somewhere um some stuff goes down the the guy and his friends basically end up kind of trying to trying to hunt her i guess mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. data was probably going to be like what the hell is this description <laughs> um and and then the the girl basically get, gets her revenge um, on these guys, um, it's it's it, it's not my usual watch, but um, the, it, it's quite a, a like it's it's a really beautifully shot um, film. I can see why it um, has got like quite high reviews. Mm-hmm. The thing. Like it's and it's a different take. It's it, I think there's a the thing it does really well as a as a movie is the uh, the main actress who is um, uh, Matilda uh, Anna Ingrid uh, Lutz um, who plays 
who plays Jin. She is a really strong, strong lead. Um, she does a, a great job at portraying um, fear and going on the journey of, I guess, you know, turning the tables on these people um, that are that are hunting her. It's got a lot of like so it's on the shutter shutter platform, mm-hmm. and it's so not horror, but you know, like kind of like gross things, like you know, if somebody cuts themselves, like they cut themselves really badly, and you kind of see like a big giant like gash in this in their skin, and it's kind of like that real like cringe, and you kind of you kind of feel it type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so not horror in the spooky kind, um, where you know you need to leave the lights on, but it's. Look, it was something different. I had never heard of this movie. It's had a lot of praise. Mm, um, it's it's popular enough that um, Sador actually owns, owns the poster, which, again, I thought if he owns the poster, it's got to be good. It kind of has a color palette that reminds me a little bit of um, the Drive movie, which is, I think, what really kind of pulled me in. It's kind of got these like real kind of vibrant neon colors, mm. even though it's um, set more during the daylight. But yeah, look, it's a. I don't think it's a movie for everyone, but i I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it enough, and I've got no no regrets about watching it. Awesome, and I I saw the the recommendation in the in the Discord channel, and I I did I haven't got around to watching this one, but uh, it is a pretty intense looking poster pretty cool uh colors scheme there are a lot of positive reviews on it and i think that's also a really good sign when um you know realistically again i haven't heard of any of the people in this i haven't heard of any of the writers or anything like that so i love you know i'm always finding movies that maybe are a little off the beaten track so this looks like it could be another one of those so um great great for people getting involved in our channel and uh i'm glad you gave it a go I think too, like um honestly the most interesting thing to me about this is that Shudder is another platform available in New Zealand. Yeah. And so they they actually offer a seven day free trial. So I just signed up for the trial only to watch this movie. There is a whole bunch of other movies on there. Um, particularly if you're really into the horror genre, you'd probably get quite a bit out of it because there seems to be I, I think there's a whole like there's quite a big horror sort of subculture around movies and um different different types of horror and i'm i'm getting non-stop ads for shutter now on every platform right. that i'm on um even though even though i've i've cancelled my membership but fascinating who knew who knew who knew indeed and again just like you it's probably not my normal genre as well but um if anything i feel tempted just to have a look at the platform like you did so uh nice one so moving on to uh, some TV shows now. So just finished watching The Watchmen. So this is the – this actually, I'm a little bit late to the party, to be honest, on The Watchmen. So this TV series came out um, back in 2019. Uh, obviously, if you've seen The Watchmen movie, kind of uh, builds on builds on that universe – the it's only a, a nine episode um, limited series, so I, I don't think we're expecting a, a part two. I think originally when it first came out, everyone expected this to be a long term series, but near the end they came out and said, "No, this is it. This is sort of a, a one off story." Um, and to be honest, 
Why did I wait so long? Fantastic. I've heard good things. So the Watchmen is basically the – I'd heard this before and I I didn't follow this rule, but I, I really wish I, I did. If you haven't seen the Watchmen, I think it's quite important, or if it's been a long time since you've seen it, you, you really should watch the Watchmen movie first. And if you're listening to New Zealand, you can watch that on, on Netflix and you can watch the TV series um, on Neon because there's some there's some real big crossover from what happens in that movie to what happens in the TV show, and it's it's kind of set in a, uh, I guess a, a, an alternate history where um, masked vigilantes are, are treated as outlaws, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on. It it it, it, it dives into some pretty big social issues. It dives heavily into racism. It dives heavily into um, the police, and particularly when you look at particularly, well, actually it's been all our lives, but particularly around um, 2020, mm. some of the stuff that um, I think this brings to, I don't know, to the to a point of conversation is really interesting. Like one of the, the key themes in the TV show is the police are allowed to basically hide their identity and and cover their faces, and like just when you think about that in today's society how outrageous that would be. But look, I I loved it um, all nine episodes. It's the it's a, another show where like you go away, you think about it for a long time, you want to talk about it with people, um, you want to watch more YouTube videos kind of about it. You want to kind of understand where it's going next. It makes me want to watch more Watchmen. It makes me want to go back and read the graphic novel. Awesome. I'm, I'm sitting here like a fool saying, oh, I've heard good things about it. And the, now that I look at it, I'm thinking, oh, Diana and I started this. We got like two or three episodes in and I have no idea why we stopped. I don't know. Something else must have come along and we just, you know, we got distracted and we haven't gone back to it. So I think I might have to, we might have to go back and, and finish that off based on what I've heard, what you've just said. And, um, and of course, yes, of course, this is Damon, uh, Damon Lindelof, isn't it? So, uh, the man who gave right. us, the man who gave us lost in uh, the Star Trek movies with JJ Abrams. So yeah, I, you're so right though, about it being just outrageous about the idea of the police being able to, to hide their faces. I mean, what a, you know, what a, what a thought that would be in today's world. It's got a pretty stellar cast as well. Um, uh, Regina King is one of the the main mm. actresses in it. Um, it's got Jean Smart in it. It's um, Jeremy uh, Irons. Jeremy Irons. Yeah, it's it's so good. Um, and it's really it's, for nine episodes. And I think you know when you think about the history with Lost, and you know how many questions came out of Lost, and how many things are still kind of unresolved to this day. I think we're Watchmen. Um, rounds out the picture is it creates mystery, but they close all like they close as many of the loops that's possible. Mm. And I think that's what makes it such a a nice kind of sandbox watch. And if you do watch it, I think it'll be actually worth having a bit of maybe a a deep dive into it because I think there's there's so much to discuss. Could do that. We've just finished a TV show which you and I are going to talk about today, and we're actually literally looking as of tonight, thinking, wonder what our next show might be. So uh, we'll put this one in the mixer, maybe. Mm-hmm. It was quite hard actually, um, coming from 
um, the Umbrella Academy, which we're going to talk about soon, straight into the Watchmen because there's some quite similar themes, um, particularly around time travel and superheroes and all that type of stuff. So you might need a a, a palate cleanser in between. Okay. Um, But but again, do yourself a favour and and definitely watch the movie if you haven't seen that in a while. I just added that back to my list because, yeah, I haven't. I can't even remember seeing it. Goodness me, it must have yeah. been a long time ago. It's a, it's a Zack, uh, Zack Snyder classic, so mm. worth checking out. Um, uh, God, it's, it's we're 20 minutes in and I'm still going. I've still got a few more things for you. Are you okay for me to keep going? You just keep going. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Um, I've been, again, you'll be proud of me. I'm progressing through Star Wars Rebels. I've got uh, two episodes to go and I'll be finished season three. Um, so freaking good in fact i i sent you a, a message last night mm. to compliment um obi-wan kenobi and his um dueling abilities so good so good and actually i just probably dropped a big spoiler if you haven't seen rebels but <laughs> it's been out a while right yeah yeah you've, you've had some time you've had some time um and look we, we know that rebels are set before um a new hope so Maybe it's not that much of a spoiler, but so good. It's like you've said, I think um, the quality just keeps getting better and better. Mm. And I would, apart from the last, you know, the last episodes of the Clone Wars that we've seen, Mm -hmm. I would really struggle to choose my favorite at the moment between the Clone Wars and Rebels. It's an ongoing dilemma. I keep, I just, I can never, and I I think it's great that they're such high quality. Uh, Rebels is, is a real favorite of mine and a real, a real great watch. It's a more potentially a little bit more child friendly as well for anyone who wants to watch it with younger people. It's a, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, and the other thing I've two other TV shows that I've been watching, um, I won't go deep into them because they're, I, one I haven't, oh, that's year I haven't finished both of them, but, um, I've got back into a rewatch of Eastbound and Down. Brilliant. So um, this is definitely Paul and I talk about the show quite regularly, you know, starring Daddy McBride, basically uh, a kind of uh, burned out major league ball player um, and kind of his return to normal life and getting kind of trying to draw him back into that world. And he's such an obnoxious character. Mm. You you are, you're either going to love the show or you're going to hate it. And I think it's his arrogance that kind of makes it so much fun um, to watch. There's there's so many great quotes. I feel like Eastbound and Down is one of those shows that came out in the earlier days of HBO doing really edgy stuff for us. I feel like we're, we're so used to edgy material now. It's maybe not quite as uh, as out there as we – is it? The yeah, fair but, and it's day. Yeah, and it's day. So good. And if you're looking for a, a good laugh and you're okay with some sort of kind of obnoxious um, but comical behavior, it's a show. you got to watch it. I love it. I haven't watched it in a while. Um, he's such a hateable character, but it's such a lovable show because, I don't know, there's something about seeing him do the things he does and say the terrible things he says that I feel like 
there's sort of like maybe you maybe you've bumped into someone in the office or at work who just reminds you a little bit of Kenny Powers. There's a little bit of Kenny Powers in a lot of people, and uh, I I feel I feel like just the the full full volume Kenny Powers is is just unbearable and a, and a lesson in bad manners and it's just it's great to watch great soundtrack and uh, one of those shows where the casting is just so crucial i cannot imagine a single other person in the world being kenny powers other than danny mcbride danny mcbride is is almost now ruined for me when i see him in anything else because of this character yeah yeah and um, it's funny because i've i i was reading an article the other day that like Danny McBride's actually a really lovely guy in real life, but I think people just associate him with being the, the Kenny Powers type persona. Um, and if, if you do find yourself enjoying Eastbound and Down, another good show that you could watch of his is Vice Principles. Um, kind of a, a similar vein um, and also just as funny. And the, there's two seasons of that. And one more show, and then I'll I'll hand the mic over to you, Paul, to tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. Is I've been watching um, an animated TV show on Amazon Prime, um, called Harley Quinn. So Harley Quinn from the the DC universe, mm-hmm. Harley Quinn, um, Joker's um, Joker's Robin, shall we say, and. So this is a show I kind of stumbled across on Prime and I haven't finished it, but it is wild. So this is, if you look at the cover art for it on Prime, mm. it's very, it's, um, I wouldn't, some the kids could find themselves clicking on it, but this is a very R18 um, animated TV show. It's, like Archer, but more intense. It's um, it's got some pretty hardcore uh, language. There's some real laugh out loud moments. There's um, it, it's really interesting to see. I, it's almost like characters from the almost like some of the some of the side characters from um, side character villains from like the Suicide Squad, like. King Shark and Clayman right, and, right. and, and kind of brought, brought to life around Harley Quinn and, and, and Poison Ivy. And I'll give you an example of the, of the type of humour in there. So Harley Quinn's kind of basically proved to the Joker that she's sort of a, an A-tier villain and can kind of um, do it on her own. And But she's also kind of deeply still in love with the the joker anyway she kind of recruits a sort of a a ragtag bunch of people and there's this character in there um who's fighting wonder woman and he as he's fighting wonder woman he says something really offensive to wonder woman that you should never really say to anyone and like a no i want to i'm not even gonna say it we're 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 a friendly podcast um it involves something around next Tuesday. But and everyone's just kind of like, whoa, 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 everyone kind of loses their mind. There's all these people like, you know, like videoing it with their <laughs> smartphones. And then he has to get like um a PR team to kind of like help him get back on track. And oh, it's it's a wild ride. Uh it's fun. It's a fun watch. I'm I'm looking through and I'm most uh, impressed by the the cast they've got in there. There's a whole bunch of people I I recognise. Um, Alan Alan Tudyk um, as Clayface. 
Um, I love him. Michael Ironside, Giancarlo Esposito, our favorite actor from Mandalorian, Breaking Bad, and Better Call Saul. Jason Alexander. There's so many. Wow, I feel like that alone makes it worth a, at least a go. Um, the character Harley Quinn has never been a big one that's appealed to me overly, but I I just don't care. I think there could be something in this. Oh, that's um, what's her name, isn't it? That's Kaylee from Big Bang, isn't it? So she does the voice. Yeah, that's oh, right. Okay, okay, that's right. Um, Alan Tudyk also plays the the Joker in this as well, and it's one of those uh, shows where I am. I've probably watched about ten episodes, and I feel like the first maybe five or six episodes, they're, they're trying to kind of find their rhythm and they're trying to maybe be a bit more obnoxious than they need to be. But it's, it's a if you like TV shows like Archer and Rick mm. and Morty and you kind of like that kind of slightly more um, adult, edgy, animated stuff, this could be for you. Um, it's definitely not one for the kids, even though that title card looks very bright and colourful and young people friendly. Look, I've been fooled by that before, and I, I'm not sure if I should be admitting it on air, but I bought a, a an animated Batman DVD once, which I figured would be fine for, for my, my son. I think at the time, I think he was like eight or nine. And within the first 30 seconds, I realized straight away it wasn't what I thought it was. And then I looked at the classification, and it was like an M. And so it, it got turned off, and it's never gone back in. But uh, it's I just picked it up as a bag, and it was like a $5 bag and something. So you can easily be fooled by the posters, for sure. Yeah, but, yeah, so look, you, you can. So if you're after something a little bit – this is a great palate cleanser. If you're watching something a little bit intense, um, mm. Samara and I have been watching Harley Quinn as a, should we check on an episode of Harley Quinn at kind of the end of the night? So it's kind of, it's something fun. Um, I, I don't know where it's going to go, whether all um, the whole season's going to be quality, but look, I, I recommend giving it a whirl. Might do that. Yeah, I've just uh, I've finished Rick and Morty, and uh, obviously there's no more Arch at the moment, so maybe um, until I get Lower Decks, that I can watch here. Okay, that's the final time I'll ever rant about that on the air because I do that a lot. But until I get that, I need another animated show to watch. So, uh, so yeah, so um, for me, um, there's been a fair few things going on, but I'll just give you a couple that I really wanted to really focus on for the podcast. Um, and I'm, I'm going back to 1936 then, the original Flash Gordon the 1936 original. So sometimes when I watch something from the 60s or 70s, you know, it feels a bit retro. 50s is like that sort of, I don't know, golden age. And I don't know what how you sort of contextualize the 30s. It's you know, it's nearly 100 years ago. Well, maybe not that much, but it's, yeah, it's proper old. So this is based on that 1930s TV serial. Uh, the movie name uh, given to this is the is Rocket Ship. And my inspiration for watching it then was actually from yourself when you gave us that trivia from the news desk about uh, Flash Gordon being uh, Queen, the Queen's uh, favorite movie. And whilst I'm sure she was referring to the 1980 movie, who knows, maybe maybe she likes the, the 30s serial as well. And I didn't know what I was going to get, but as you quite often say, Dan, I had a great time. So, you know, it was, it was one of those movies where if, you know, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to give some spoilers away. And to be fair, you've had over 80 years to watch this. So, uh, um, yeah, so you've got this this rogue planet that's rushing madly towards the Earth and this doom 
surrounds the planet and there's pandemonium and pandemonium even in the 30s we can see uh, they show scenes of london and paris and new york and other places where people are panicking and there's this scientist dr zakov um that thinks that by traveling to the planet in his experimental rocket ship there could be a way to stop it meanwhile in unrelated news, we have this plane crash in progress with these um, two strangers, Flash Gordon and Dale Arden, who parachute to safety and happen to land exactly where this doctor is with his rocket. And so naturally, they're keen to go on the rocket because, you know, that's a crash landing out of a plane. That's the next next step is to get straight onto a rocket. Um, I sound like I'm mocking it, but it's actually, it's actually great. So they go off, they arrive on the planet, and they try and work out a way of stopping it and they find that the planet's been controlled by this evil emperor who has you know sinister plans for the planet Alderaan I mean sorry Earth so you know it's a crazy ride there are some ingenious special effects for the time that it was made and whilst the dialogue and some of that delivery has obviously aged it's still got a real like a raw appeal of of something that feels like it's been lifted straight from the pages of a comic book. Um, and what I really appreciated about this, and it all came, came back to me as I was um, watching it because I, I've seen quite a few documentaries with, with George Lucas is about all the ties to star Wars and how it was actually this, this flash Gordon 1936 flash Gordon that was uh, his inspiration for Star Wars. And, you know, there's so much about it that when I think about it, it makes sense. So the story is really simple, classic, you know, good against evil. We've got the real big grand music, just like John Williams in Star Wars. Um, it also has, and I did notice it as I was watching it, but it was only when I read about it afterwards that I really sort of twigged. Um, they have the those moving wipes from one scene to another, just like we do um, in Star Wars. So George Lucas totally stole that. Um, it's an episodic, episodic structure, you know, so um, that's sort of episode four, episode five, episode six. There's obviously elements of that I think he would have got from it. They've got that, you know, I said the Emperor Ming, Emperor Ming the Merciless, um, whilst very different to Palpatine, similar intentions. Leia's earmuffs are just like the Queen's hair. There's so many things that when you watch it with that lens, you're like, I can see what George Lucas did here. So, you know, I had a lot of respect for him because, you know, he brought his vision of Star Wars. I mean, I guess some would call it plagiarism, but I I call it genius. Um, but I have a real respect for the filmmakers as well in terms of what they were able to to do back in those days. Um, it's a really great fun watch. And it actually leaves me wanting to go and watch that 1980s uh, movie, uh, Flash Gordon, because I haven't seen that one in a long time either. I wonder what one is the is the Queen's favourite. Is she about the classic or is she about the nineteen eighty version? I I don't I know. I guess we could tweet her because you know they have Kensington Palace on on Twitter, but I don't know another way to find out. In the article, um, it was the nineteen eighties version, um, mm. which they use as, as the images. Not to say it is that version though, because that's probably just the more common um, and striking one. I think the thing that. Um, I like the most about Flash Gordon, and I've I've never seen it. It's the fact that it's referred to as a space opera, mm. and that sounds awesome. And so I was just looking at a, at a Wikipedia page on what is a space opera. So it's basically science fiction that emphasizes space warfare, melodramatic adventure, interplanetary battles, um, romance and risk taking set entirely in outer space, and it usually involves of some conflict. Um, and yeah, that's great. Uh, the idea of a space opera, what a great genre. 
Yeah, exactly. And it really t- all of those boxes you just mentioned. It pretty much ticks the whole the whole lot of them. And uh, yeah, you know, it's black and white, and it's it's um, the the picture quality I can assure you is not HD, but it's um, it's on Amazon Prime if you've got Amazon Prime, and it's uh, it's definitely worth a go. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I yeah, I could join you in a maybe a nineteen eighties rewatch. I I feel like it's a a movie that's so heavily memed and and referenced mm, in so mm. many of the movies that I've enjoyed um, over time. I apologise for noises in the background. I've got a I've got a dog that's uh, decided to destroy the room. That's good. It's uh, it's, it's what you get for letting the the dog into the Wellington studio den. Because obviously you're recording in the studio, correct? That correct. The dog is the the manager of the of the show. Correct. So, what the dog says goes. Correct. Um, the other one, the other thing, I think I'll talk about just conscious of time. And uh, this one, uh, I can say hand on heart, I have been planning on watching this movie for some time. But it was actually a podcast with uh, Patty and Trisha from Time Travelling Team last week that accelerated that and really made me actively seek it out. And this is uh, Doctor Who and the Daleks. So this is a 1965 movie. Um, and, yeah, it was it was Patty and Trisha that inspired me basically because they recently reviewed the TV episodes that this movie um, is based on, and that was a story uh, called The Daleks, which – Dr. William Hartnell uh, was part of. And so I should note that I haven't actually seen that original TV version of this, so I can't do any comparisons. But what I can say is that I have a strong intuition that the TV version with William Hartnell and co is quite likely superior. Um, So, yeah. So at this point, I'd like to hand over to Paddy to give a recap of the story. Paddy's not here, so I'll I'll do a short version. And that is uh, uh, Doctor Who shows his time machine TARDIS to Ian, the boyfriend of uh, his granddaughter, Barbara. Being a clumsy sort, Ian hits some controls and then he accidentally transports the three of them together with Doctor Who's other granddaughter, Susan, to somewhere else in space and time. And long story short, they wind up on a dying planet where they're captured by the Daleks and learn that there's this war going on between the the Daleks and the Fowls, um, which has destroyed the planet which is now radioactive. And um, yeah, so the, the, the Daleks then discover that the Thals have an antidote and they're trying to negotiate for that in exchange for food. But of course, the Daleks are not to be trusted and want to destroy uh, the Thals to rule the world. And there we go. That's the the sort of the premise that the, the movie set up for. And um, it was it was an interesting watch. It brought back some fond memories for me as a kid because I remember watching this on a Saturday morning and just like watching the TV show, uh, being you know terrified of the of the Daleks, so there's some real nostalgia. Nostalgia, sorry, watching this again so many years later. The story itself, look, it's fine. It, it works well for the most part. It plays out fine, and it, because it's based on the TV version, it, it's got some real thought put behind it, and it gives the backbone of what holds this movie together. But overall. Uh, my main feeling as I was watching this was actually I'd probably rather watch the TV version. And there's a number of reasons, which uh, um, some of which may f- sound pretty trivial. But as you may have noticed in my recap, I refer to the Doctor as Doctor Who. 
And whilst that may well be the name of the TV series, it's never been the name of the character. The character has always been the Doctor. But in this movie, people refer to him, they literally say Doctor Who. And it's it's very odd. It's very, very odd. And I, I can't handle it. And another one is uh, they refer to TARDIS without the the. So they say, let's get back to TARDIS, or I left my jacket in TARDIS as opposed to the TARDIS. It's 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 very odd, but I, I couldn't cope with it. It's too much change. Too much change. Cool. Enough. Enough. Enough's enough, right? I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I it it sounded weird even when you said it. Um I feel like we've been taught for such a long time now what the correct titles are of, of these things. We this level of change is too much for me. Yeah. And that, that wasn't the only changes. They changed the doctor. So the doctor wasn't William Hartnell. They went with Peter Cushing, as uh, was one of the trick questions I brought up in the quiz last week. Um, and whilst he is, you know, for me, he's been, obviously he's been in many things, but for me, he's immortalized and is immense as Tarkin from Star Wars. But in this, it's over the top acting. Um, like he was only 50 when this was made, but he's he's acting like he's a 75 year old grandfather. So it's really over the top. Um, over-pronounced limping and old man gestures, terrible facial expressions. It was not impressive. Um, the guy who plays Ian, uh, actor, if you want to call him an actor, Roy Castle, unwatchable slapstick comedy, like watching a Benny Hill sketch. At the end, if you, if you ever do watch it, the final five seconds is just unbearable. It's like watching some B-rate pantomime performed. You know, it's just it's just terrible. But, you know. Pork an hour. This is a lot of shade for you to be throwing around. You, mm-hmm. you, you're normally a, an upbeat, positive champion of the people. Um, you've got a lot of empathy for everyone, and you're, you're throwing down some real, That's, some real, this, you know, dark stuff. Despite all this, and I still haven't finished. I've got, I've got two other things I've got to mention. Despite all this, I still enjoyed it, and I cannot explain why it was bad, but it was good. Um, there was just too many things that they just didn't do well enough um and i'm not saying uh, that the tv series always did either but at least it, or you know like if you think about the, the tardis inside it just looked awful just wires and christmas tree lights and levers with no sense of function or structure that at least the, the you know the tv show always had a sense of identity for whichever doctor it belonged to it nothing about this one felt right at all the dialects sounded horrible they talk at this really really unbelievably slow pace it's really painful. And I did some reading about it. And it turns out that someone on the production crew didn't realize that the lights on the dialect's heads were supposed to light up every time a word was spoken. And instead, they thought it would just be great just to have them flashing randomly all over the place. So then they did the dubbing to match the lights. And it's the most bizarre thing I've ever listened to. They, they looked okay from a visual perspective. They, I thought they looked okay for the time. You know, they looked pretty well constructed. Um but that's pretty much where that stops as well, because the the planet, the Dalek city, everything else looks way, way worse than things like Star Trek, which were being made at the same time. Um, so yeah, it's um, and the theme music, you know, none of that classic Doctor Who theme. It was just some weird. It, it was like I travelled to an alternate universe where everything was the same, you except need, they had a different you need Doctor a Who. Of I I need a couple. I really do. It was just bizarre. It was just bizarre. Uh, But like I say, despite that, I I still managed to enjoy it, I think, for the nostalgia factor. And at some point in the coming months, I may also watch the sequel, um, Dalek Invasion Earth 2150 AD, that was made a year later, which um, I believe 
is actually a bit better than this one. But who knows? Who knows? And that's probably that's probably enough for me. You've uh, you've done a solid pull. You've done a solid effort. You've gone back. You've gone back into the archives. You've dug deep again. And you've brought something new. Oh, I appreciate it. You're welcome. So that must mean that we are about ready to talk about the Umbrella Academy. Correct. Yes. So, so um, another TV show where um, Paul and I cut an edge of uh, – podcast news and entertainment obviously you know this has been out you know for you know season one came out in 2019 season two has been out for months and um paul and i have already just got on the umbrella academy um bandwagon and having both watched it we thought you know what we'll do a bit of a deep dive for you guys um talk a little bit about what we thought about it what we liked about it um as per usual, if you haven't seen it and want to watch it, you might want to skip forward, um, I don't know, 10 minutes. And uh, if you have seen it, join in the conversation. We'd love to hear what um, what you thought. I'm just going to put it out there before we go into sort of spoiler territory. I think it's great. I think it's definitely worth a watch. If you enjoy the superhero genre, um, if you enjoy – um, fun, not too complicated, but a little bit of sort of twists and turns. That's mm. a good TV show. 100% So just a, a, I'll lightly touch on the, the, the premise. Um, and it's going to be a little bit murky, I think, because it's all kind of blurred into one for me from season one to season two. Mm. Um, but so basically what happens is, it's, it kind of starts on October 1st, 1989, and so there's 43 women around the world, and they all give birth at the same time, despite none of them showing any sign of pregnancy um, until they begin, um, until labour begins. And so seven of the children that are, are born are adopted by this eccentric billionaire, uh, Sir Reginald Hargraves, um, and he turns them into a superhero team that he calls the Umbrella Academy. And so Hargraves gives the children numbers rather than names, but they're eventually named by their by their mother, Grace. Um, and they've all got quite different sort of skills and abilities. Um, and basically he puts six of the seven children um, to work fighting crime. Um, and one of the children, um, we kind of learned the – uh, Vanya, we learn more about her as the as kind of season one progress. But by the time we get to season two, they're kind of fully superheroes. And that's kind of the, the premise of what the show is all about. The show is about their relationship with each other. It's about their relationship with their um their their mother, their their father who who dies really on in the in the first episode. Each character um, is really different and really quirky. There's, I, I don't know about you, Paul, but I've got some characters I absolutely loved. Mm. I've got some characters that didn't connect as much for me. Mm. I think this is a TV show, as much as it is about superheroes and saving the world and their powers, it's actually about how they function as a family or probably more to the point, don't function. 
Correct. Yeah, that's really the the crux of it, isn't it? And that's where the the gold is, and the really enjoyable stories, uh, the really funny stories. I think on the subject of you know calling out favorite characters, um, I'll go. I think I said last time we spoke actually, Diego was probably my favorite character from season one. So this is the guy who whose special ability is the ability to sort of he's a, he's a knife wielding. Uh, guy and when he throws a knife it can just go in all kinds of different directions and, and it kind of it just will always hit its target it doesn't matter it can go around corners up and down it's uh it's, it's it could be useful in the office right it's a really useful kind of skill to have when you're fighting against the types of uh, enemies they're up against as well um and i think for season two i actually then found diego had less center of attention and less lines and i i really connected with luther on season two i found him to be a really enjoyable character i didn't quite connect with him in the first season but the season two i found him really really funny really central and just showing different sides to his personality and so yeah luther there was he kept reminding me and in the end diana was the one who figured out who he was reminding me of it was ryan reynolds there's something about him that just reminds me of ryan reynolds and the way he comes across and uh, i really enjoyed that but um yeah some some great characters and uh who who who, who do you pick out then um i've got two favorites i think um so my favorite i think throughout actually in fact yeah, my favorite throughout both seasons would be fives. Oh, sorry, five. I didn't. You, you called me up on this the other day. My favorite character is five because fives is in the Clone Wars. Um, five is in uh, the Umbrella Academy. And my favorite thing about five is he basically plays a. Uh, uh, it's what a fifty-something-year-old um, man chapter in a and a young boy's body because of all the sort of time travel and stuff. And it's so great just to see the way he interacts with um, the other actors and the other characters. And he kind of carries this, this weight and presence about himself that you really do believe that he is older um, than he is, even though um, he's obviously played by quite a, a young actor that's you know, rel- relatively new to the acting scene. Mm. And then my my second favorite character would actually be Klaus, um, mm, who's mm. actually played by, um, which I didn't realize until season two, um, Robert Sheehan, who's actually starred in a movie that we reviewed not that long ago, um, which was the um, Bad Samaritan, the Good Samaritan, Bad the Samaritan. Bad Samaritan, the Bad Samaritan, and so plays a very different character here, and Klaus plays a. <laughs> Good, bad. That's a real half measure. Yeah. Um, Klaus plays such this sort of over the top, um, sort of like kind of really like uh, sexualized character and the the antics that he gets mm. up to in season two. He's a, he's a really, he's a really, <laughs> um, really flamboyant character. Uh, he's probably the most consistent, I would say, across the two seasons. Uh, he was just probably, yeah, he probably had the best lines throughout the entire series and was very enjoyable in, in every scene, as you say, in that sort of way he, he carried himself off with uh, just basically no regard for what's going on in the world, just thinking, where can I get my next hit or, and what's for, what's for lunch sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. And, and the, in fact, all of the characters have got some really interesting um, things going on. I really like the, the agents and, mm. and things. But I think that the biggest thing probably to talk about with um, the Umbrella Academy is so in the first season, it's very much focused around that the world's going to end. 
um, I think it's within about five days or something, and they're, they're trying to unpick or work out the chain of events which creates this happening, and it's it's all about them working back. Season two is about them actually being in a the um, the superhero team, the the family being in a, a different time period, and they kind of all end up scattered in different time periods and living their lives through, you know, like the Kennedy assassination and mm. some of those big historical events there. And again, the world is kind of about to end and they're trying to piece together what's going on. And it's it's interesting because I've heard lots of people say they liked season two more than they liked season one. Mm. I kind of found them quite similar and I kind of found season two a little bit frustrating Though by the end of season two, I was definitely back on board and very excited for season three. Yeah, I, I feel very much the same. Actually, I'm, I'm more of a season one fan. And again, I wasn't. So, I just wasn't so keen on the fact that they were split up so much throughout season two. Yeah, there's always TV shows where, like in The Walking Dead, we always talk about when the gang are all split up. It's sometimes you just want them all back together, whatever. But you know, by and large, I really like you enjoyed this. It's very, very watchable. It's very easy to watch. The episodes fly by pretty quickly. It's only ten episodes per season. And the other big element for me around this series was the soundtrack. It's a great soundtrack, and they really, they really use that soundtrack to bring the series to life with some some really great you know great track choices i thought throughout the movie that uh, sorry throughout the series which really uh, uh, like a defining sort of um theme for how they 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 sort of play a scene out to the music almost they actually make the music really central i'm not sure if you picked up on that yourself i think that's, that's such a great call and it's the type of soundtrack where like I, I instantly went on to Spotify and found the um, the playlist for the Umbrella Academy, and I've been I've been kind of listening to it ever since I finished watching. And all of those songs now remind me of some great action scenes or fight scenes or comedic moments in the Umbrella Academy. Um, I think there's. I'm really interested in where season three goes because I think, so just going back to that point around season two, because they're trying to work out how to save the world again, I was kind of a bit like, oh, like I kind of just felt like a little bit fatigued about it. Mm. And then to your point, nothing, I find nothing more frustrating and kind of, you know, anxiety inducing to constantly have characters back together, someone like five, trying to keep everyone together and then they're all dispersing all the time and they're like back together we lose one we've got to find that person get them back someone else disappears and it kind of becomes a bit frustrating yeah i'm i'm completely in that um arena as well i just it's just you can do it once or twice but if it's all the time that's that's what made season two just that little bit um uh just not quite as good as the first i i i also felt if probably my biggest complaint, and this is maybe an odd one for me, is that I actually thought it almost brought too much humour to the table. And and the reason I say that is I just feel like I wanted it to be a little more serious at times, which is kind of at odds with how much I enjoyed, you know, we talked about Klaus and Diego and Five just being really, really funny. I just thought they could have dialed it back a little bit because if there had been less humour and it had been a little darker or more serious, I reckon it could easily have taken on a... I don't know, like a, like a Dark Knight type feel or something. Um, and for some reason, I felt like I wanted that. I don't know. But um, look, I laughed a lot. I loved it. 
Um, and I, I also want to mention the characters Hazel and Chacha. I, I really missed them in season two, particularly Hazel, uh, who, who I find um, a, a really fascinating character played by um, Cameron Britton, who I've enjoyed in a few things. He's, he's got a great voice. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think my only other complaint about the about the Umbrella Academy would actually be about your your favourite character, uh, Luther, so played by by Tom Hopper. And so his superpower or his ability is that he's kind of half kind of half ape. He's got um, mm. super strength, and I think it was better in season two, but. I feel like all of the budget went into everyone else's superpowers and getting all the rights to these amazing songs. There was a soundtrack because he wears this terrible muscle suit when quite often in a scene where you'll see him like being down to either um, hold a character or um, even just generally move or interact with another character. You can tell it's a suit yeah. kind of stuffed with pillows. Correct. And it, it it really takes me out of the moment. And then they had quite a few scenes where they show him, um, I guess, with no top on at all. And he's, he's obviously like kind of bulked up and, and muscly, but he's kind of got this half monkey mm. body and it kind of doesn't connect well with his actual real life neck. And it, it really, it was the one thing that just constantly kept taking me out of it. Whereas I think the other characters all kind of had, um, scientific or telekinesis or uh, like, like powers that they could really visualize. But because with Luther, um, they really went for a, he's, he's physically a, a bit of a unit. And I think we're used to seeing, when we see people like that, we're look, like, I don't know about you, but I'm looking at like the Hulk, for example. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all done in CGI. And I, I almost wonder whether Luther needs to be done in CGI because what, what they've got going on didn't work for me. Um, but it, it's a small complaint in the scheme of things. What you've said is absolutely right. And now that you mention it, it's, it's, I completely agree. I don't know. I didn't, I kind of noticed it, but I, I've only sort of really thought about it now that you mentioned it. It didn't take me out of it for some reason, which is interesting because often those things do. On the subject of apes, though, um, one thing I was going to mention, because I've, I've never been a, a fan of Planet of the Apes or... Yeah, that whole ape series. I I know shock horror. I know, I know. I'm not. I'm just not into it. But the the character Pogo, uh, who is um, Reginald's um, intelligent chimpanzee character, I thought that was something completely different. He was so good, so well voiced, such subtle, minimal movements in his facial expression, and it said so much. I felt that was a really effective use. Um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed him. So that was great too. I I completely agree. Like so, and I think that's you know. So you've got this half monkey man, and then you've got this animated, uh, not animated, just um CGI um monkey who's Pogo, and it's it was it was good. It was such great quality. I think the other character actually now that you've kind of got me rolling down um down the dark hill, that I kind of got a bit frustrated with by within season two is Alan Page and her character is Vanya. Mm. I found her a little bit kind of melancholy and a bit kind of sulky Sullen. throughout it. And I kind of just got a bit sick of it because, and I think maybe this has got to do with the the tone 
that Umbrella Academy is going for. Like, is it is it a fun action comedy? Is it a, a dark night? Is it a – and I think they kind of flip-flop a little bit on, on what it is. And for the most part, that's okay, but every now and again it kind of stands out maybe more than it needs to. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's interesting, though, because Ellen Page is the one who's probably – best known she gets top billing she's the one who got there was a couple of awards that this series was um you know up for nominated and she was you know up for a couple of the best actresses awards and so it's, it's interesting that both you and i agree with that um it's yeah i mean overall it is great writing and it's great dialogue between the, the members of the family the, uh, sort of the academy or family if you like themselves but uh yeah no you're 100 percent right and, and i look i i really Look, I really like Ellen Page um, is such a great actress mm. and I loved her in movies like Juno and um, it's it's cool that she's in a, a – like she's, again, quite a big actress to be in mm. a, a TV show like this. Um, and I'm, I, I really hope they just do something a little bit fresh with the story and interesting for season three. Agreed. Yeah, I definitely hope they go in a different direction, which it looks like they might do based on the way they've set up the premise. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm not bad mouthing Ellen Page either. Just simply her character, because yeah, I, I, I've really enjoyed her, and I feel like I haven't seen her for a long time, but I certainly enjoyed her in Inception. That's the one I always think of with her. Um, so yeah, roll on season three. Mm, definitely, and it's. I regret being so late to the party, but the the great thing about being late to the party is I was able to watch season one and season two back to back. And I actually think, having now seen it, like I could probably watch it again um, and prep for season three next year because it is, as you say, Paul, it's only 10 episodes per season. It's pretty fun. The soundtrack's um, pretty banging. There's some great laughs, and I'd watch it again for five. He's, he's so funny. Yeah, great actor, right? Mm-hmm. Shall we uh, shall we skip over to our movie of the week, Dan? Our movie of the week. This was uh, this was my choice mm. this week, Paul. It was. And so, after my last round of various um, recommendations, I thought I'd go for something a little bit more. I don't know if "serious" is the right word, but a little bit. A little bit more adult, shall we say, um, particularly after Six Underground and, and various things like that. And I, and I guess kind of building on my recent Lord of the Rings marathon, um, I went for a, a 2005 classic, A History of Violence. Mm, yes, Viggo Mortensen. I can see why you wanted to keep that vibe going because he is, he is great. So if you haven't seen this movie, here's a quick little synopsis uh so we've got this pretty regular guy called tom Stall. he owns a diner in a small close-neck town in uh, indiana and he becomes pretty much a local hero overnight through this act of violence where one night he's forced to stop this you know attempted robbery in his diner and save his, his customers lives through self-defense and the whole thing attacks attracts like a whole bunch of media attention which forces him into the spotlight and that coverage means that his face is everywhere and so this uh, this ex-mob guy uh, obviously sees him on TV or in the newspaper and he comes to the town to, to threaten him because he believes that Tom is, in fact, someone else. He thinks he's this guy, Joey Kuzak, who is a man who wronged him. And so this is, yeah, the movie plays out from there, basically, as Tom and his family struggle to cope with this change reality that they're living in. They're constantly on edge. 
Tom's denying that he's Joey, but his wife isn't sure. I'm not sure. Is he? Is he? He is. Just just in case you, you, you wanted a spoiler alert, <laughs> he actually is Johnny. Uh, sorry, Joey. And it, it, it all unravels from there. And um, I think I, I will hand over to you in just a second then. But the first thing I want to say is, was this movie actually made in 1995 and then kept in like a time capsule and not re- released for 10 years because from a production value, it's not aged well, not just purely production values. That's all I mean. What do you think? Yeah, I remember watching this movie. In fact, probably the last time I, I saw this would have been in when it came out, probably in 2005. And I remember at the time thinking, oh, this is this is great. It was so, you know, one of those movies, oh, man, um, Leo Mortensen, such a badass. Like, mm. And, like, seeing this kind of mild-mannered um, character return to his um, mobster roots was, was really cool at the time. But, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, after watching it, I don't know if I'll watch this movie again. Mm. It It's almost like there's been a filter applied to it that's made it look super grainy. It's kind of dropped the quality. There's some pretty big-name actors in it, but it it hasn't stood the test of time, unfortunately. We watched the film um, Neon, is that right? That's right, that's right. I mean, I presume it was the HD version we had. I don't know. I, I'm not too sure, but it's it's if you haven't seen it and you're a, a, a Vigo fan, and if you're a David Cronenberg um, fan, mm. great choice. Um, if you like movies like Eastern Promises, which is another one by um, David Cronenberg, then then this could be for you. It's, it, I guess, it does some some kind of edgy things. Uh, Ed Harris's character, like Ed Harris, is a is a is a pretty big deal. Um, and his his character meets his demise fairly early on in that movie. Mm. I guess much to probably, I would imagine, our, our shock at the time. I, I didn't feel shocked this time. Um, there's, I thought there was a very awkward um, sex scene in this movie. That, that I don't know. It, it felt awkward, and it kind of felt a little bit, a little bit forced. forced yeah, as unnecessary, right? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I don't know whether I can say too much about it because it kind of just feels so – and maybe one of the reasons it also doesn't translate is – so Viggo Mortensen's character, when he stops this this crime happening, and, I'm, and I think we're just so connected now in a, in a modern-day world with smartphones and social media, you would just – you know, the, the way that he kind of like, inter- like even the fact that he allowed himself to be interviewed and kind of put on the, mm-hmm. you know, put in the newspaper and like, you know, and then the mob found you, you kind of did some, you did some silly things. But in today's day and age, you would have been found in seconds. Correct. And uh, I don't know. It's okay. It's a shame it's not as good as I remember it. Yeah, I, I'm still stuck on those production values, right? Because because Cronenberg, as you say, with like Eastern Prom- Promises, uh, The Fly, um, Existence, these are some great movies that, you know, he'll, he'll take some really interesting stories to the screen, but um, I don't know, maybe he's not renowned for the quality of the, the lighting or the sets. Maybe it's someone else in the production crew that we should be calling out. But yeah, if we put aside the overall datedness of that movie, some of his direction of the scenes were pretty good. That that scene at the start where the car 
uh, is going past the the motel rooms real slowly and the, the camera pans with it and the whole scene takes place with no break in the scene, no change of camera angle. I really enjoy those types of um, scenes. Um, sort of Hitchcock was really famous for. I really, I really appreciated that. But um, I was also surprised. I don't know if I'm sure well, you picked up. It was uh, it was based on that graphic novel. Uh, it just didn't see that coming. Um, I thought it made for a really good, good story. I also saw that the graphic novel was written by John Wagner, who's the creator of um, Judge Dredd. So it's it's a really um, interesting sort of background to who wrote this. Um, Vigo, like you said was 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 good you always expect a good performance from him i found him actually quite terrifying um but in a really subtle unspoken way like the way he sort of would which when he shifted out of his cover identity into those you know, for those brief scenes where he was joey kuzak again there was something about the intensity in his eyes combined with a pretty awkward looking haircut that gave him a a real kind of this this guy could go crazy at any moment kind of look yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the other thing too is, like, so I, I agree with all of your points. There actually is some um, some beautifully shot scenes um, in there. In fact, there's. I think if the production quality stood the test of time, there would be scenes that would be up there with some of the some of the greats, um, particularly that that opening scene. I think another thing which didn't really work for me is I felt like I didn't really like the beat. The big bad, so um, mm. Richard Kuzak, the uh, the main mobster. Like, I kind of wish that was Ed Harris. Like, I didn't, I didn't like. They, they kind of created this fear of the, of who the you know Richie's looking for you type thing. But when we kind of got to Richie, I don't know. Richie just seemed like any other any other bad guy from the bad guy pool. This this is William Hurt. William Hurt. I always enjoy seeing him. I feel like I feel like he shows up a lot, but I only really remember him from Lost in Space. Do you know what's interesting? Because you make that point about you know Richie, but William Hurt actually got nominated for an Oscar for that performance, and he was only in like what the last fifteen to twenty minutes, which yeah, I think that's, that's I, I think that's quite unusual. But um, no, I, I thought William Hurt was okay, but I think you're right about. It's, if you're going to have a big bad, probably play your your big trump card and play Harris because Harris was re- really intimidating presence on screen. I thought he was really well cast for the role. I, I'm genuinely shocked that um look, and look no no shade against William Hurt, obviously a great actor, but I like for what part of that role could you be nominated for an Oscar? I just like, I don't get it. Mate, Maybe a half measures Oscar, not a real life that, Oscar. That's about it, right? Uh, there was another good performance, and that was the Sun. The the kid who was having that he was having a real hard time at school was being bullied. I didn't think. I, you, do you disagree? No, I, I. So this is one of those again, one of those casting choices for me where nothing. I find nothing worse. There's two things that annoy me in um, TV TV shows and movies. One, when people drink a drink with no liquid in the cup, oh. and there's, there's something about the physics of them moving a cup around that I can just tell there's no liquid in there. And two is when they cast. Um, you know, like 20 plus year olds in the role of like a, a 15, 16 year old. He just seemed way too old for me yeah. in that role of the, of the child. Yeah. No, I, I, I guess he was a little old, but I, I did like the way he turned and you could see that the apple hadn't fallen too far from the tree when he started getting violent himself. 
Um, but look, I felt uncomfortable watching this movie. I hadn't seen it before. Um, when the daughter went missing and then Ed Harris is there just watching her quietly from a distance. I mean, it's a nightmare for any parent, a situation like that. And I think the word uncomfortable or unsettling is how I would describe watching this. I wouldn't want to watch it again from the point of view of the production values being so so poor. Um, but yeah, the story is really, really powerful. But um, yeah, I think because it's so unsettling, I, I don't think I'll watch it ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I think um I think it was good in its time and unfortunately I think for me it just didn't translate well to 2020. So unfortunately yeah not a not a recommended watch. Well, Paul, this has turned into another very long uh, podcast. We we haven't even got to the we've got the the news, the mailbag, the peak performances. Well, I, I, uh, I'll let you uh, kick us off with the news, but I've only got one piece of news I'm going to check in there, so uh, we, we may be quicker than we think. Who knows? Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll go light. I'll, I'll, I'll cull the news that I, I don't have. Um, so I guess the, the big bit of news, and I guess a, a really big shout-out um, to uh, Chadwick Boseman, who played uh, Black Panther, um, most mm. recently for most of us. Um, he unfortunately lost his battle with cancer uh, this week. Uh, he was only 43 years old. Um, really, really, really sad. I think this news caught a lot of people off guard. Mm. A lot of people didn't know he was sick. Um, from what I've read and heard, that he's kind of, he kept that the news of his cancer kind of un, under wraps and I think only a small small group of people knew about it and I think what's kind of what's kind of touching about it is um uh Chadwick Boseman would would obviously be in the Black Panther go go to the hospitals see kids visit people and he's you know giving them this sort of amazing sort of like courage and brave sentiment and he himself is going through a, a pretty sad battle so it, it's it's so sad as well because um, Chadwick Boseman not only was fantastic as Black Panther, mm. he's got an awesome back catalogue of movies. Like not that long ago, I was talking about The Five Bloods, and he, yeah. he played an amazing role in that. There's a whole bunch of other movies um, that you could watch that he stars in. So pretty, pretty, pretty sad time, and I think sad for the Avengers. Yeah, really, really sad. Really, just how he kept that to himself i think as a celebrity in the in the spotlight to be able to have done that i think is 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 quite amazing that he managed to keep it you know from most people uh i actually i enjoyed him in black panther but i always think of the movie 42 that was the one that yeah. he really stood out for me the um the one where he played the the first uh, african american to play the uh, the major league baseball i thought it was fantastic as jackie robinson in that movie so uh yeah really really sad and horrible news he, he's given a lot of shout outs too and and rightly deserved um for someone who really and I, I know that it's it always feels a bit rich when people get these shout outs after they've passed away but he really did seem like someone who um stood up to um racism and prejudice and a lot of the the terrible things going on in the world right now he seemed like a real advocate for change mm. um and i think i can't think of her name um who plays Michonne from The Walking Dead. Um, 
anyway, uh, at Boy You, look that up for me, Paul. And uh, she, she said it best in her Instagram. God, it's right on the tip of my tongue. Um, how do you honour a king? And I, I definitely, I would imagine that the Black, that Black Panther probably one of the most watched movies on Disney Plus right now and not to mention his as you said Paul he's got a, a huge a huge back catalogue there's actually a, a, a really cool petition going on in America to actually put a, a statue of uh, Black Panther yes, um, in, in his home in his hometown which is really cool like you know take down um, one of those those old uh, inappropriate statues mm-hmm. and, and put something like this and that would be would be pretty cool. So he's from Anderson in South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, Denai Guerrero. Um, uh, of yeah. course. Yeah. Of yeah. course. Of course. Um, so, yeah, look, sad news. And the other bit of news, which actually isn't fresh, isn't fresh news, most of you um, will be well over this, but um, as we didn't mention any news last week because of our, our interview, I just wanted to give a, a shout out to the the Batman trailer. Mm. I am beyond hyped for this. I I didn't feel anything really yet for this film, but having seen that, this is definitely a Batman that I want to see. I am on board um, for um, Robert Patterson as the Batman. I am ecstatic at a dark Batman. Like I thought we had a dark Batman in the Nolan series. Mm. A Batman who's like, you know, we're talking like a year, this is year two Batman. He's, he's, you know, dislocating shoulders. He's breaking arms. This is so good. And they've only filmed 25% of this movie. There's so much more to film. And like, I'm a huge Nirvana fan. Like Nirvana is my jam. It was the first band I really got into as a kid. And, you know, you, you mix Batman and a bit of Nirvana for me uh, with something in the way. This is this is magic. This is the magic source for me. I'm hyped. I do feel like that trailer was definitely made for you with all those factors coming together. Um, it does look dark. It does look serious. And that's that's something we love with our Batman. Um, the casting choice we've talked about with, with Batman before, I think it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting choice. I'm really excited to see what he brings to the role. Uh, I think having only film 25% and being able to come out with a trailer looks that looks that great is is a really promising promising sign um i think uh, the casting choices they've made for penguin and riddler very very interesting can't wait to see how they they play out also you know alfred um there's there's a, there's a lot of great choices in there so catwoman yes yes that's uh, right Zoe, yeah. Zoe Kravitz. that's um, right yeah Lenny Kravitz daughter that's mm. yeah so no very exciting very exciting indeed and yeah, so that look, that's all the new, only news I'm going to cover this week. But yeah, just a, a big, a big shout out to uh, Chadwick. And I think the something funny I did see this week: how could one of the uh, the coolest um, uh, African American uh, black guys in America have the the widest name? Chadwick is is, is so funny. It's very so true. Funny. I'd never thought about that. Yeah. Um, so for news for me, so this is a bit of news that, uh, again, 
our friend Sado brought to us in the Discord channel. Um, Netflix is bringing together uh, some big name talent for series two of Criminal. You and I loved uh, season one of Criminal, really enjoyed that series. Um, another one that came up in there was that they are making a TV series of the Resident Evil movie. So the same the same guys who brought us the 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 movies, the Resident Evil movies, are coming together to um, to to bring us a TV series, which is is quite exciting. I know you've played the games. I've never played the games, but I've always enjoyed the movies. I'm not quite sure how they recast Mila because she's she was you know really front and center of obviously of all those movies as Alice. Um, but that'd be interesting. And when else? you said Alice right then, I really I really heard Luther in your voice. Alice, that's how we do it, right? Um, and then yeah, finally uh, the the new no time to die trailer the james bond movie that's going to be coming out in uh, in november that's that's now dropped pretty hyped for that down i'd say i uh, you and i paul uh, are big um both daniel craig and and 007 fans and i really hope paul that we're we're still on for doing the rewatch of the 100 percent uh, the, the the daniel craig series of movies I, I i think about these movies all the time i think we need to work out a schedule so that we know when to start watching yeah i'm thinking like a weekly saturday night each saturday before one a week really pace ourselves out it'd be great um I'm, I'm i'm conscious that we are running pretty over time so i'm going to be real quick as i can with the mailbag so there's a couple of quick highlights in here so just going back to our review of official secrets so the nsa whistleblower movie and um, the actress Nikki Lin, who played Mi Young, the, the NSA analyst and friend of Kieran Knightley's character, she shared our movie review to her Instagram story and got involved in the comments as well. So that was pretty cool. Also from that movie, the actual Martin Bright. So this is the guy who was played by um, Matt Smith in the movie, the observer journalist who broke the news and made those headlines around the world. He saw our review. He shared it with his followers. And then he clicked follow, and he's now following us on social media. So I, I like to think that this is a guy who's gone from reading about the Bush, Blair, Iraq invasion. Uh, now he's interested in finding out what we've been watching and getting amongst the the half measures. Maybe he's listening to this podcast, and he'll you know maybe he'll blow the whistle on you know the social media manager's minimum wage, salary, and working conditions or something. But um, it's great that he's decided to follow us. Uh, what else have we got here? Oh, yeah, we had a lot of comments about our Doctor Who podcast with Time Travelling Team, which is great. Uh, and one comment, which I just want to read out, was from Earl Green. Uh, he was the He's the host of Retrogram, which is a podcast I talked about a few weeks back. And he's a big-time classic Who fan, and he, he tuned into the interview with um, Paddy and Trisha, and he tweeted that he enjoyed it and that his favorite companion is Sarah Jane Smith. We had a lot of talk online about um, favorite companions, uh, Ash Gardner, big fan of Rose Tyler. Uh, Michael uh, uh, from our Discord community, Amy Pond fan, uh, Bruce Gray, regular listener. He went with Martha Jones, Mason Gray. I'm not sure if he's related to Bruce. He also went with Sarah Jane Smith. Uh, and also on Sarah Jane Smith, Darwin from Illinois. So inspired listening to Trisha talking about her that he's decided to go back and rewatch um, her run in the show. Um, but this time he's going to do it in chronological sequence. And then also, um, we had a lot of love for Val Kilmer's 
peak performance. We had a lot of people. A few highlights we had here. We had Jeff Daniel from Arizona. He went with Iceman. Uh, Norman from Roddenberry.com. He went with Iceman's hair as his favorite performance. I can actually imagine Norman rocking that style. Uh, Dean Slade went with a Tombstone like you, Dan, as too did Paddy from Time Traveling Team. Uh, Darwin went with Real Genius. Uh, that's a, a, I haven't seen that movie since the 80s, but it's a great movie for that uh, a great poster, sorry, for that movie. Um, another pick we had was uh, Jim Morrison and the Doors. Uh, that was from Michael on Instagram and uh, based on Michael's record collection on his Instagram account. It's no surprise to see him going for Jim Morrison. Uh, Bruce Garrett Gray again was in there for Val Kilmer. This time he said, what about the performance of uh, Kit, the voice of Kit in the 2008 remake of Knight Rider? Interesting choice. I like that. But even more interesting than that was Drew Jackson, a guy we haven't heard from before, but he recommended to us I'm Your Huckleberry, which I hadn't heard of. And when I looked it up, it's actually Val Kilmer's autobiography. So, yeah, so thanks uh, for all those guys. We never get tired of hearing your thoughts, your suggestions. That is the mailbag. However, we've got a new feature that's come in this week, probably just for this week, and that's called The Answering Machine. And uh, we had someone leave us a voicemail, and I'm going to play it for you right now, Dan. This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Starscream listens to this podcast, Paul. That is incredible. I, incredible. We, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, weren't we? Because Megatron, the guy, uh, Jason Manosha, who uh, plays Megatron, left us a comment and he listened to our podcast. Obviously, words got around the Decepticons headquarters, and uh, to get a, a voicemail from Starscream was uh, a real highlight of my week. And I have to tell you, I don't know about you. I don't know. Look, all hail Starscream. That's all I can say. Indeed. The, the true leader of the Decepticons. And it gets better than that. I wonder. Oh, yeah. Go on. Go on. Tell me more. Uh, I was going to say, it gets better than that because, you know. Just obviously, Starscream is fictitious, right? The actor, the voice actor who plays, uh, I, I know, I know, I didn't want to break that to you. But yeah, the voice actor, um, Frank Todaro, who plays Starscream, um, he has in fact uh, agreed to come on the podcast for an interview in a couple of weeks' time. So I think we need to get our game together and get some questions going for Starscream. Uh, and maybe some of our listeners as an opportunity, if you're interested, maybe we could get a hashtag questions for Starscream going uh, on our on our Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, all the rest of it. Just if you want to get amongst it, if you've got a question for Starscream, get in touch with us and we'll, we'll, we'll put some of those to him when he comes on the show. I'm really worried, Paul, that um, if we talk to Frank on the podcast mm. and he starts talking to us in Starscream voice, yeah. I'm going to lose it. I won't cope. I'm going to lose it. I'm not going to matter cope. All my childhood fantasies. It's it's too much. It's too much. I, I, I'm excited. I am excited that Starscream is, is one of our listeners. We have got one question that's already come in, and I won't say what the question is, but the question is is from my six-year-old daughter who uh, instantly recognized the voice when I played it to her, and she's very excited. So uh, I'm not sure if she's going to come on the podcast and ask him herself. That would be quite nice. But uh, either way, we'll make sure his question gets to uh, – her question gets to him, sorry. I can't wait. I can't wait. This is going to be a great episode. You'll definitely want to um, yeah, get your questions in, and we'll, we'll see what we can do to get them answered. 
there's the sky's the limit. And we haven't got to our peak performance yet. All right. Who God, what are we even doing, Paul? Who who are our peak performances this week? So uh yeah, so it was my turn to pick this time around. Um and we'll start off with the actor, and I went with uh with Clint Eastwood. Uh so shall I kick us off? Yeah, so just um, quickly before you do, so peak performance for those, if this is your first time, listen, is basically where we pick an actor and an actress and we we just we choose amongst ourselves what we think their, their peak performance is. Week in, week out, I always forget that bit, Dan, honestly. Uh, I like to think I'm the organised one on the pod, but each week you show me that I'm not, so we're, I appreciate We're that. a team, Paul, we're a team. <laughs> That's right. You know. Um, so yeah, so, so Clint Eastwood, right, so I feel like, I feel like as, when I was looking at all of his films, I feel like there's this modern day Clint and then there's classic Clint. And I don't quite know where that transition happened, but in my mind, he was kind of young and, and then he was, you know, that modern day Clint that we've come to know and love, you know, in movies like his most recent one, The Mule. Um, and I went back and I think that it's actually 1989's The Deadpool, which was that dirty, that was a final Dirty Harry movie that he starred in with Liam Neeson as the bad guy. Um, and I think everything before that, he was kind of this sort of classic Clint and everything since then, he's been this modern sort of slightly older one. Um, but the, the first thing I just want to quickly acknowledge is that even if he had never acted a single movie in his life, his catalogue of movies that he's directed more than stands up for by themselves. I mean, this guy, he's 90 now. Uh, you could even argue that some of those movies he's directed are maybe even more successful than when he's been the star. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking that view. I'm just sort of putting it out there. I'm just saying that he's got such a great, catalog but um but anyway in terms of iconic roles you know one of the all-time cinema greats history has been written in terms of movie history by him in no small part there are some really great performances a couple of my favorites would be escape from alcatraz unforgiven and million dollar baby but my runner-up i'm going with uh is for a few dollars more is actually the second movie in that classic spaghetti western trilogy um and uh, there's, there's so many so many great moments so many one-liners and great looks and sergio leone action movie scenes um in that film i it just all comes together with that music um this there's some questionable dubbing in that movie but it's a super superb movie and there's so much about clint's performance is uh, in that movie is not about what he says, but because it's not a very dialogue heavy movie for him, I wouldn't say it's more about his, his expression his, in particular, his eyes when he's just staring at people. I just think he's, he's absolutely iconic in that role. And um, so, yeah, I, I look, everything I've just said could probably be used to describe that entire trilogy. And most people probably think of the good, the bad and the ugly, but for me, the runner up is, is that um, for a few dollars more. Um, but, Despite all those classic roles, my winner, the one I cannot shake, is Gran Torino. And everything about that performance in that movie is just perfect for me. He's he's the perfect age. He looks the part. In my mind, this is what Clint will always look like for the rest of his life. He's got that grizzled, disgruntled, classic, retired, older person look. And, you know, with all due respect to those sort of three movies he's made since since then, I think it's probably his last great performance i can't believe it's already 12 years old actually but um you know i can't see i can't see clint coming out and topping gran torino and uh yeah despite everything that he's done it's i'm going with that one as mine 
You've mentioned some pretty great movies, Paul, and I think I regularly, I find myself about once a year having to Google, how old is Clint Eastwood? <laughs> and I feel very worried that he's 90 years old. I am not ready to not have mm. Clint Eastwood in the world. Like, And he's kind of a... I, He's different to Sean Connery, but I think I'm um, I'm not ready to lose like the Sean Connerys, the 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 Clint Eastwoods. Like they they just I feel like I've grown up with them, um, and they're they're a part of I guess my almost kind of like my my parents' movie genre, and they've, they've kind of bleeded into um, my life as well. And I think you know you you've mentioned quite a few good movies. One that um, stands out for me actually, and I think it's. It's maybe the nostalgia factor about it. And I remember watching this movie as a kid with my dad um, during the school holidays. It's every which way but loose. Oh. And it's basically um, um, Clint Eastwood with his um, pet orangutan Clyde. And I have I couldn't tell you anything about this movie and today. I, I, I have no memory of what happened in there. But I just remember a real badass Clint Eastwood and his orangutan, and it's just been a fun, funny time. Yeah. I imagine there's probably a whole bunch of stuff that's probably inappropriate in that movie in, in the current <laughs> day, but but still, the, the, the memories are, are fond. The other couple of movies, like, I guess the, you know, Clint Eastwood in Unforgiven, mm. a more modern-day Western, is another kind of standout choice for me. This is, um, I feel like a... You know, so this came out in 1992. This was a, a modern-day Western for me. That kind of got me interested in Westerns and so many great actors in there, Gene Hackman, Morgan Freeman. Um, but I think my my runner-up choice would be Million Dollar Baby. Such a, a fantastic movie. Yeah. I think um, Clint's role as um, Frankie Dunn as the coach, just – so memorable, and I think the thing the, the thing that Clint does well is Clint can be the dirty Harry action star. He can be the strong, silent um, Western cowboy. Mm. He can just be the um, he can be the grizzled old man. He can be the good guy. But no matter what role he plays, he does it so well. And the fact that half the time he's actually directing as well as starring, I know it's just an an, an incredible feat. And I'm actually I'm with you on this one, Paul. Peak performance for me, Gran Torino. Nice. Um, I couldn't I couldn't think of if this was his last film, and I, I know it wasn't. What a what a way to go out! A movie that you you know you're laughing, you're probably crying. There's there's just so much going on, and it just carries so much emotion, and uh, it's kind of a real kind of slice of life. Mm. And I'm, I'm kind of shocked that it's, it is 12 years old. It's, uh, it's, it's a good movie. I, and, and when I was, as soon as you see Clint Eastwood, the first movie that comes to mind was Gran Torino. And often I, I like to go with the first movie that comes to mind because it's normally the one that sticks out the most for me. That's great. I, I love it when there's you know, so many movies, just like with Samuel Jackson and, and others where we just, both just say, do you know what? I think this is the one for me and a uh, great choice. Um, I'm going to let you kick us off with our um, peak performance actress. Uh, this week, I have selected Helena Bonham Carter. So uh, what do you got then? All right. So um, 
it's really tough when you when I think when we put it with a, a character like when, so when you you know you've got Clint Eastwood on on one hand that's got this enormous back catalogue, mm. and then you've got another uh, person who's got a, a, still a, an impressive back catalogue of movies, but at a slightly different um, depth. Yeah. And I think I oh, it's it's tough. I I, I guess my like this, there's so many good movies uh, that Helen is in, and I think the thing that Helen is really good at is I feel like playing herself, and she often plays the same character in so many different movies. But I don't care, and I absolutely love that about her, and I love that when I see her in a movie, I always know exactly what I'm in for. Mm. And I think she's got this really unique, manic, crazed charm, um, which is always really enjoyable. Um, and even in a movie like Sweeney Todd, mm-hmm. um, so good. But my my runner-up choice for her is actually I'm going to give it to her for her role in Fight Club um, as Marla Singer. Mm. So so Fight Club in itself, incredible um, piece of film, still talked about as much today as when it came out. And you know we're talking about a movie that – God, Harold is Fight Club, a, bu- a billion years old. 21 years old. Yeah, when did that come out? 21, oh, God. So really good. Anyway, um, the movie that I want to actually give her peak performance for is actually I'm going to give it to her for the Harry Potter movies as um, Bellatrix Lestrange. Mm. And I just think this character, you know, the the, the crazy the crazy witch, this, this is made for her. I, I couldn't think of a better person to to play this role. I think she brings so much to the character. She obviously, um, she, as as Tim Burton's wife, I think really kind of embraces the the strange and the different and the um, a lot of kind of effects and the and the makeup and stuff. And uh, yeah, Harry Potter for me, just the the collectiveness of her presence in there is is so good. How about you, Paul? Great choices. I had a, I had a funny feeling you might go for the Harry Potter because she is just so great in there. Um, I've got some different choices, which is which is great. Um, but I did I did note her role in Harry Potter as one of the ones that I've really enjoyed. I always find her, you know, one of those such a great actress to watch. Always, as you say, always so enjoyable, so flamboyant, and brings any scene in any movie to life. And she, when she's when she's on, she's always center stage, and that and that's great. And I find her very very watchable. I, I think my runner up for her, and, and this is the first time I've done this. Um, I'm I'm going to pick a TV role. So I'm not actually sure if the if the peak performance rules allow this, um, but uh, I'll check with management uh, tomorrow. That I think they allow it. I've been thinking this for a long time. I think okay. there's no reason why we can't we can't dabble. Right. Okay. So, th- so this is her role as Princess Margaret, uh, sister of the Queen in The Crown. Um, and so this was season three, which actually I thought wasn't as strong as season as season one and two. But Elena as Margaret really, really stole the show, and that's a big call because I'm also a really big fan of Olivia Colman who played the Queen. But um, you know just 10 episodes and we're getting another 10 episodes this year uh, for season four. She's so convincing 
and it's got to the point now that when I, when I if I think of Margaret, I actually think of Helena rather than the actual Margaret, which of course is is ridiculous because that's a real person. But uh, she really, yeah, she really sold herself in the role. She it, it felt like she really, you know, how De Niro goes method. I just felt like she just she seen, she picked up a lot of Margaret's sort of movements and facial expressions. Just really perfection. Just really really good. So that's my runner up. But my winner for peak performance for Helena is actually, funnily enough, as Margaret's sister, uh, Queen Elizabeth, in the King's Speech. Um, so first of all, Dan, I think this marks the first occasion that any actor or actress has won both the winner and runner-up position for playing two sisters in two different uh, productions. So um, we'll have to tweet her that or something. I'm sure she'll be excited. But yeah, a fantastic role for her, you know, playing the Queen, even more iconic and I felt like her relationship with Colin Firth and the way she she carried that off. The again, you know, Colin Firth, you know, got quite rightly a lot of recognition and awards, obviously, for that movie. But I think um, playing off of Helena as the as the Queen, I felt she really played her part in that movie, and it's a really enjoyable watch. In fact, I haven't watched that movie for a long time, and I felt like I need to go back. But yeah. That's my peak performance and special mention for her in Terminator Salvation because when I, when I found out that she was in that movie, I was really excited, but it was such a small part. It was a real disappointment. I think the words that you used, flamboyant and method, sum her up perfectly. Mm. Those, are, those are great choices and, and, and great picks. So those are, they, were, they were tough choices, Paul. I, I commend you on your picks for this week. I'm going to have to really um, – I'm going to have to dig deep into the archives to choose some new pick performances for this week. I look forward to, to hearing what you're going to pick for us, and I'll have a movie for you, a couple of movies, and you can pick one for us to review for next week, and we'll put that movie uh, in the in the Discord channel if you want to watch along with us ahead of next week's review. Cool. So that probably brings us to the the end of uh, another episode of the Half Measures podcast. So this might be Paul our longest episode yet. We're an hour and a, hour and three quarters in. This is like a movie length. Honestly, if anyone's listening, the the, the code word this week is is quite clearly Starscream. It is. It is Starscream. So. Look, I just want to thank our Patreon producers once again, Samara King and Trisha Brady. If you would like to become uh, a patron of the show, uh, make sure you check out the link in the show notes. If you want to get in touch with us um, on Twitter, Facebook, etc., we're at Half Measures Pod. Um, come and join us on our Discord channel. Come and have a chat. Tell us what you liked about the Umbrella Academy. Tell us what you didn't like about it. Find out what we're watching. Join the conversation. I'm all about the conversation, and that conversation happens on the social media travel uh, channels as well. So, do follow us at Half Measures Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you can find the links to all of those in our Discord community channel as well as our websites. So, yeah, get us those questions in for for Starscream. Just a quick note on Frank as well, just to bear in mind, he's, he's not just played. Starscream in the most recent version, War for Cybertron. He's also played him in Combiner Wars, Titans Return. There's a whole bunch of things that he's he's done, and so it's going to be great having him on the show. Do get your questions in to us. And finally, uh, thanks to Time Travelling Team for sponsoring this episode. And if you'd like to sponsor it, get in touch with us at halfmeasurespodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope 
he'll join us next week. All hail Starscream. Adios. <laughs> <laughs>